Well, I hope, you are, I hope you're glad that you came to church today. Uh, you missed that hour's sleep. Yeah, that's all right. You can clap. That's good. Isn't it great to see the baptisms and people following the Lord? Boy, I was up there, you know, back behind this wall at, right before they got baptized. They are all young men pumped up, fired up about their relationship with God. I'm just so excited about what's happening in their lives and our lives, too. So, again, we're glad that you're here at Grace, and we also want to welcome Paulding. Thanks for being with us. Again, just a great, a great day to see baptisms as we celebrate together, people going public, uh, that they've made this commitment to follow Christ. We've been in a series called STEAM. We're actually going to wrap it up today. And we've been talking about STEAM, momentum for the Christian life. And the reason we've been talking about it is because we, we all recognize that sometimes in the Christian life you have your ups and downs. And as we wrap up, I, I want to talk about something about you know, how is it that in spite of the things that are happening, the, the peaks, the valleys, how do we really sustain uh, our growth and, and our uh, life in God? How do we as Christians keep on going and growing in our relationship with God? What drives us to do that? And I really believe the answer to that is joy. Kind of an unusual answer maybe, but I really think it comes down to joy. You see, we all seek joy. We all want happiness. And although those words joy and happiness are synonyms, a lot of times we as Christians, we try to draw a distinction because we're trying to convey something that's true in our lives that other people might miss. And so a lot of times We'll draw the distinction by saying happiness depends on circumstances of life. But joy runs deeper and, we can, and, and joy is really independent of circumstances. We can have joy, deep, abiding, lasting joy as believers no matter what life brings. No matter what's going on in the ups and downs in our life, we can have true joy in our relationship with God. And that's really what I want to focus in on today, this, this joy that we can have. Um, Jesus, he told a lot of stories called parables in the New Testament during his three years of ministry. We're going to look at a, a chapter in Luke, Luke 15, where he tells three rapid-fire stories that are really one, and we're going to look in detail at the third, but mention the first, and... Uh, Three stories that all end in joy. They all have to do with joy. And, and so as we look at that, we're going to learn some things. And I, I think we'll be able to answer some questions from what Jesus taught. First of all, we're going to look at what is joy. And then secondly, uh, we're, we're going to focus in on how do you seek joy? How do we seek out joy? And then the third thing we'll look at as we see his teaching is where do we find lasting joy? So uh, first of all, as we, it, it's not just what is joy because we define that as happiness. But mainly it's why is joy so important? Well, it's important because I believe joy motivates us. Happiness, joy, motivates us in just about everything we do in life. Um, it's our motivation 
for everything. We all seek joy all the time. Everything we do is in pursuit of joy. Here's what I mean by that. We're all here in pursuit of joy. Even the person who doesn't want to be here. Maybe you came here because you're a family member or your neighbor just kept hounding you or bugging you or, or you came for whatever reason. Even you're here, even though you don't want to be here, you're here for joy. You're here for happiness. The joy and happiness that will come with your friend laying off and, and you know, so they won't be bothering you anymore. Everything we do is kind of hooked in with a motivation of joy and happiness. There's a, a great thinker, uh, Blaise Pascal, he says this, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it. It is the same desire in both attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. Wow, isn't that kind of powerful? He's saying we're all motivated by joy all the time. Even when we do hard things, even when we take our lives, it's really because we think we'll end our unhappiness or we think we'll have more joy in some action. We see it playing out all the time. But as Christians, as we focus on this, what that means is that basically we're all hedonists. We're all pleasure seekers. We're all looking for that happiness and that joy in our lives. And it's like we have this internal beacon that's constantly trying to discover that. It's like we're a cell phone constantly searching for the strongest signal. And we do this without even thinking about it. We're constantly trying to hone in on what we believe will bring us the most happiness and the most joy. And, and really that's what temptation is all about. The temptation to do wrong things. What's the motivation? It's always happiness and joy. We always think that it's always an appeal to our joy impulse. We always think it's going to bring something, but it always leaves, temptation always leaves us unsatisfied, empty, and ultimately joyless and unhappy or, or wanting something else. So why is joy important? We're kind of dealing with first. Well, because we're wired up that way. And the next reason joy is important is because it's, joy is important to God. So those of us who are believers, joy is important to us because joy is important to God. God wants us to experience joy. Primarily and most of all, he wants us to experience the only lasting joy. And we can only have that through a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. Now... As we get to Luke 15, I want to read the first story that he tells and also set the context in verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. 
So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep, has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You see, Jesus is teaching us something here. He's teaching us that God seeks us out. He offers us joy. And when we are found... There is rejoicing with God, rejoicing in heaven, rejoicing with the found person. God is very interested in joy. That's one of the reasons joy is important. And then the third reason joy is important is because joy is actually a spiritual discipline. Would you think about the word spiritual discipline? We don't talk about that too much as a phrase. That spiritual disciplines are just that we as believers, those of us who are Christians in the room, we know that we should talk to God, that's called prayer. Read his word, that's God's communication to us. We know we should do that. We know we should be nice to the people around us. You know, those are spiritual disciplines. But what we often forget in that list, joy doesn't show up. We don't think of joy as a job that God has given us. But it is. Joy's commanded to us. Remember in Philippians 4.4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. We're supposed to be joyful. The problem is, we seek out joy in all the wrong places. So that brings us to our second question. Why is joy important first? And then secondly, how do you seek joy? How do you and I, how do we as people seek out joy? I want to skip to the third story that Jesus tells. These all follow one another. And it starts in verse 11. And I think we'll see this is a story of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, it's really as we look at that, we're, we could say it's a story of two sons. And, and not only that, but it's the story of two sons who are seeking joy in two different ways. Let's read it. Luke 15, beginning verse 11. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. 
But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here with hunger. I'll get up and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, well, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look. For so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. You see, it's a story of two sons who really neither one were, were in relationship with the father like they should be as the story starts. And basically, we know in this story that the father represents God, right? Right? And the two sons represent us. And specifically, you know, to those who Jesus is talking to, the second son represents the Pharisees and the scribes. And he's, in this story, the master storyteller describes these two sons who are really seeking out happiness and joy in two different ways. The younger son does what many people still do today. In order to seek out, you know, what, what does he do? He inappropriately approaches his living father and says, can't really wait for you to die. I want my half of your money, my portion of your money now, which is probably a third. I want my portion now. And so the father gives it to him and then He's, he's just a couple days into that money, and what does he do? He takes off for some wild living, pursuing women, drink, you know, whatever. He's out living the party life. Why? Because he thinks that's going to bring him happiness and joy. So he goes and he chases it, and he tries to get as far away as he can from his father. He breaks all the rules as he seeks happiness and joy. And then what happens? 
Well, he burns through his cash. And then pretty soon, he, he doesn't have anything. At the same time, the country goes into a drought. And all of a sudden, things get really dicey, really bad. And he has no way to support himself. His friends are gone. And so he hires himself out to a man who hires him to feed his pigs. And again, this is a Jewish boy who's not supposed to have anything to do with pigs. For a living, he's feeding the pigs. And he's feeding the pigs these pods, like tree pods. And he's realizing that he wishes he could have the pods to eat. They're eating, the pigs are eating better than he is. And then he kind of comes to his senses and he realizes, wow, I'm starving. Nobody's cutting me any slack. My father's slaves are better off than I am. And so he realizes that he's been wrong. He says, I'm going to go back. Comes up with a plan. I'm going to go back. I'm going to ask forgiveness. And until I'm going to go back humbly and say, I don't even deserve to be your son. Just make me as one of your, just give me a job. So that's what he does. The thing about it is that rebellion, that that leaving the rules, that chasing the fast lifestyle, that's exactly what many, many people today in this room, many of us do all the time. We think that these things are going to bring us joy and happiness and satisfaction and contentment, but it never delivers we kind of were illustrating that last week with all the shot glasses. You know, it's just one after another after another. It never lasts. It never delivers. It never fulfills on the promise. And we keep seeking more. And we're always left empty, unsatisfied. Same thing happens every day today in our culture now. We, we seek happiness and joy. And when we do that, people all around us do that through... Lust and adultery, for example, is what, what this younger son did. I mean, and that's, that's the way to get it, right? The way we're going to find happiness and joy is to have an, a, an affair and then crawl into bed next to our spouse after betraying our husband and our wife, and that's when we're going to find happiness and peace and joy. Right? No. Or... Or, hey, I know, hey, the way to be totally invigorated, totally pumped up, feeling strong and invigorated is when you go to bed at night after you've been watching screen after screen after screen of pornography, and then before you finally shut it down, when you do and you hit the hay, that's when you feel invigorated and joyful and happy, right? No. Maybe for 10 or 20 minutes... And then what is it? In both those circumstances, you feel shame, humility. You you feel lost. You feel guilty. Never joy. It never lasts. It never satisfies. It never makes you content. It always leaves you wanting. But we keep turning to these things. In rebellion... Against God. To break out of the rules. We think we're going to find satisfaction. Here's what's interesting. The the second son. The elder son. In the story. 
What's he doing? He's not breaking out of the rules. He's keeping the rules. His life is always between the lines. He's always doing the right thing. But what's happening is he's searching for happiness in the same way. But he's left estranged from the father. He's left, as the story ends, he's not connected to the... He has no intimacy with the father. What's going on there? Well, you see, he's trying to find his happiness, his joy in following the rules. And so he follows the rules, but along with that comes an attitude. His motivation isn't right. You see, his attitude is, as long as I stay between the lines, as long as I follow these rules, then the people around me owe me. They owe me happiness. They owe me joy. They owe me to treat me the way I want to be treated. And then that also applies to God. And what happens is... Keeping rules can turn out to just be a subtle way that you're trying to manipulate other people around you and also manipulate God, making it where you feel God owes me now, I've kept the rules, I've been moral, God owes me happiness. But what happens? At the end of this story... The younger, rebellious brother is united with God, reconciled to the father. But the elder brother, the older brother who's the rule keeper, the story ends and he's not reconciled to God. As a matter of fact, he reacts to the father with anger, right? And anger always works, right? I mean, if we just blow up, and power up on somebody and yell loud enough and our veins pump out far enough, you know, and we scream and we tell. That always works to get people to do what we want, right? No. In relationships, that just leaves carnage everywhere. We, we think if we yell loud enough... People will do what we want them to do and our relationship will be fixed and, every, and we'll be happy. But we just leave broken relationships in our wake because we're lashing out in anger. That's what the older brother's doing here. Why? Because he's resenting the fact that his father welcomed home the younger son. You see, the elder son, he didn't have intimacy with the father. He wasn't excited about what the father was excited about. He was off doing his own thing, trying to pursue happiness in his own way by keeping all the rules so then the father would owe him. And he ends up separated from the father, not reconciled. And even as the story ends, it never gets fixed. You see, both sons were seeking joy in their own way. And both ways of seeking joy were wrong. Rebellion and rule keeping. Both wrong. Because in both of those, there's no intimacy. There's no real close connection with the father. So, if both these ways are wrong, then where can we find Lasting joy, lasting 
happiness in our life. The scripture is telling us over and over and Jesus is telling us. If we want lasting joy, the only place to find that is through a relationship with the Father made possible by Jesus Christ, the Son. The only way. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will bring us contentment. And if you don't have this relationship that we're talking about, think about it. As long as we're out seeking joy anyway, as long as we're out searching for happiness and we're doing it on automatic pilot, doesn't it make sense to actually seek joy and happiness in the one source that can give us lasting joy? That's where we need to go. Our greatest joy comes through connection with God and faith. Psalm 1611 says, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. The greatest joy we will ever find is through a relationship with God through Jesus. It's in connection with the Father. That's the celebration. That's where the joy doesn't end. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus taught. Jesus told a really short parable in Matthew 13, 44. It goes like this. The kingdom of heaven, just one verse. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. So just a quick little story by Jesus saying... Kingdom of God is like a man, he's crossing through a field and he finds this undiscovered treasure nobody knows about. He buries it again, covers it back up, and then he goes and he sells everything he has. He liquidates all of his assets so he can come back to the owner and purchase the field so he can rightfully own the treasure. So he gives up everything for the treasure. Why? For joy. For ultimate joy. And Jesus is trying to teach us. If we want ultimate lasting joy. It's only in the kingdom. It's only by being reconciled with the father. Who created us in the first place. And wants us to have joy. We've got to connect. With him. The younger son kind of came to that understanding. Didn't he? He realized, hey, all this stuff that I've done, I end with nothing. It's over. It was momentary. All these ways of seeking joy, it's, it's done. But he eventually came around. How did he do that? He realized that his way of living was empty, was nothing. And then he repented, meaning he turned from that way of sin to come back to the Father. And he did it humbly, realizing the Father didn't owe him anything. And so he came back humbly to the Father, asking for forgiveness. I don't even deserve to be called your son anymore. And what happened? The Father rejoiced 
waiting for him to come, looking for him on the horizon, waiting to, to restore him into full fellowship, intimacy, connection with the Father. And God waits that same exact way for all of us. And what happened with the older son? Well, he didn't come to the father humbly. He came to the father saying, God, you owe me. Father, I've done all this rule following for you. You owe me. And he resented everything that was happening. And the father begs him to come in to the joy of the celebration. He doesn't come. You see, for us to experience the joy of God, we have to humble ourselves and turn our lives to him. We've, we've got to come to him. We've got to return to the Father who will bestow joy on us. The Bible is very specific about this. The whole Bible from the beginning to end, it's basically teaching us that God created us. And God loves us. But God created us in such a way that we can have a free relationship with him. But with that freedom came our choice to say, no thanks, I don't want a relationship with you. And the Bible's telling us that's what all of us have done. We've all turned away. We've all sinned against God. We've all rebelled. We've all looked for somewhere else, some other way to have happiness and joy. And, and the Father keeps beckoning for us to come home. And the only way we can really do that is when we are humbled enough to realize God doesn't owe us anything. As a matter of fact, what we deserve from God is punishment. Because if God is God, he gets to say what's right and wrong, and he has. And if we do wrong and God's not only God, but he's a just God, which he is, then God's saying sin, the wrong, needs to be punished or he's not just. But God also loves us. So he made a way that we wouldn't have to experience the right punishment for our sin and our rebellion, which is a separation from a holy, righteous God forever. But he made a way of escape from that. By allowing his one and only son who told the stories to come and live a sinless life and voluntarily allow himself to be punished, to be beaten, whipped, crucified to death to pay our sin penalty that we owe. And by doing that, created a way where a just God who loves us can forgive us without violating his own justice, his own character. But we have to respond. And that's what being a Christian is. The day you recognize that you're a sinner and that God has made a way through his son, his only son, Jesus Christ, who died for you. The, the day that you recognize that I'm a sinner and I have no merit, God doesn't owe me anything. The right thing I should get is separation from God forever. 
but because God loves me, allowed his son Jesus to die on the cross, and I'm placing my faith, my trust in Jesus alone. Not rules. God doesn't owe me because I come to church, any church, even Grace Community Church. God doesn't owe me. God doesn't owe me because I got baptized. God doesn't owe me because I'm a good husband or wife or I take care of my family or I'm a good provider or I'm a nice neighbor or I'm a, everybody thinks I'm a fairly nice guy at work. God doesn't owe you for that at all. That's what you're supposed to be doing. And you still have your sin. And the way to be forgiven is only through your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And when you cry out to God, when you turn to him, like the younger brother did, and say, I don't deserve anything. Forgive me. I've sinned against you. When we do that, placing our faith, our trust in what Christ has accomplished for us, that's when we become a believer. So for those of you who are here today and you've not taken that step, maybe you've been in such rebellion you're just like, there's no way, there's no way God's okay with me. Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost. You're the lost sheep. You're why Christ died. God knows you, he knows your every sin, and he loves you. And he's asking you to come. I think more common are people who think, no, I'm okay. I follow the rules. I live within the guidelines. I'm a moral person. That won't get you anyway. You still have your sin. Your motivation is a sin. You cannot manipulate God. He does not owe you. So if you're sitting here thinking, well, hold it, I've gone to church all my life. I've been baptized, I've been confirmed, I, I've followed all the rules. You're still alienated from the heart of the Father. You, you, you will not experience lasting joy until you connect with him closely, until you're intimately with him. You cannot resent other people and have the heart of the Father. And he's asking you, he's pleading with you. The story says, come in. Come in to the joy of celebration. Come in. We're all sinners. We all seek happiness. We all do wrong. And Jesus died for all of us. We're all in the same boat. It's just some of us have humbly come to Christ and some haven't right here today in this room. If you're not pinning all your trust in Christ only, you're missing the joy the Father has for you. And you can, make, you can fix that today. You don't fix it by becoming a member of Grace Community Church. You don't fix it by be getting baptized or being a good person. You fix it by coming humbly, realizing God owes you nothing and Christ died for you anyway and putting your faith, your trust in Jesus alone. Just 
Just turn to God in prayer like that. Asking him to forgive you based on what Jesus did. And that's all that you have. That's what it means to be a Christian. And I'm telling you, if you do that, God will come into your life and he will start changing you from the inside out. Don't miss the opportunity. You're here for a reason. Even if you didn't want to come, like some, you're here for a reason. Don't miss it. Experience his joy. Come into fellowship with him. And if you're already a Christian, I think sometimes we miss so much of the joy God wants us to have because we're not doing what God said. He's telling us, have joy. You know, in the story, what's the joy over? Finding the lost, bringing the lost in. You know, we have a hand in that. that we're all about that at Grace. That's why we have this series, God Questions. Why? Just as a tool for you to point others to God. Because you as a Christian, you can renew your joy just by helping others find God. Because there's celebration in that. There's rejoicing in that. Starts next week. How does that work out in your life? You grab one of these cards. We've not done this for a couple years, but you grab a card and people have questions about God. We want to answer those questions. We get that. Everybody has questions about God. It's good to have questions about God. And just ask them what, they're, what do you think about God? What questions you have about God or the Bible or faith or anything? Write it down. Hey, we're going to talk about some of these questions at church. Invite them to come in. Help point them to God. You can be involved in that just by grabbing a card. We're going to the website, pointing people there, ohiograce.com. Write your question. And then over the next few weeks, we'll be answering those questions and helping people to see God for who he really is. Be involved in that. Because joy is our job. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are. And God, how you've loved us, what you've done for us through Jesus on the cross. And God, for those of us who are believers here, God, thank you. Lord, that you are not only a God who loves us and saved us through sacrifice, but also that you want us to have joy every day, every hour, every minute. Deep, abiding joy that stands up under all circumstances. God, we thank you that that's your idea. That you've called us to that. And Father, we also pray for those in this room who do not, do not know you. Lord, that they, they're just off the reservation in rebellion. Or they kind of think they don't, they're not as needy as other people because they've been following the rules. And their motivation is messed up. Either way, Lord, we've all been in one of those camps God, we pray that you'd touch their heart, that you'd draw them, that they would respond to you. God, thank you for loving us. In Christ's name, amen. If you're here and you have questions about God or how to take that step, we'll be in room one.